Thank you, Brian and Harmony. That is a original song, and uh, Harmony, I guess, wrote it. But uh, I'm thankful for our students who are using their talents not only to sing, but to, to produce good music that we can enjoy today. Take your Bibles, go to Proverbs chapter 29. Proverbs chapter 29. Thank you for your participation in the survey, and uh, I know Mrs. Demersion greatly appreciates it, and uh, you'll be a big help to what she's trying to accomplish, and I'm sure she'll list all of you at the end of her book. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 29, verse number one. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck, shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. Bible college is a dangerous place. Not everybody makes it. Some quit. Some are expelled. Some get discouraged overwhelmed, overcome, defeated. In case you haven't figured it out, when you walked into this place, Satan put a target on your back. And he doesn't give up after one semester. He doesn't give up when you decide to do what's right. He doesn't say when someone gets saved, well, lost that one. He doesn't say, Satan doesn't say when you make a decision to serve God, eh, lost another one. No, he steps up the pressure. He steps up his devices. And we dare not be ignorant of those devices. What safeguards can we take to protect ourselves in such a dangerous place? In any contest or competition, there are pregame and in-game adjustments. Obviously, a coach preparing to play a game is doing some scouting, he's watching some film, he's making some adjustments to his offense or his defense to approach that game in a way in which will enable them to win. But not everything goes exactly according to that plan. Sometimes the other team has also made some preparations that are different than what you saw on film. And so now some in-game adjustments have to be made. At halftime, perhaps some different schemes or different plays are devised. Perhaps different players used in different situations, but there are adjustments that are made. Are you making any adjustments to Satan's attack? Proverbs 29 gives us four warnings. First, we see the warning of a saturating routine. A saturating routine. He that being often reproved, Bible college, is a saturating routine. Chapel every day. 
Bible classes, sometimes one a day, two a day. For one-year Bible students, every hour, every day. Saturation, devotions, church services, a saturation of truth. But Romans 2 and verse 4 says the word preached did not profit, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. You can be in a place where there's saturation of truth. There can be saturation of the Bible. You can be around uh, right things, and yet, if you're not careful, you become desensitized to it. When my wife and I first moved here, we commented to Pastor Chapel one day about the wind. And he said, you know, Brother Getch, the wind only blows here for about three weeks. I said, oh, good. I thought, well, we came right at the windy time. And two weeks and six days from now, it won't be windy. I was excited. After about three months, I went to Pastor Chapel one day, and I said, you know, Pastor, you were right. It, it's only windy here for three weeks. After that, you don't even notice it. When a person, a person first comes to Lancaster, they always comment about the wind. But after you've lived here for a while, we comment when it's calm. <laughs> it's not windy today. It's very noticeable. We become used to it. And if we're not careful in a place like this, it becomes a dangerous place because of a saturating routine of chapel and church and Bible class and devotions in the dorm and you're around conversation that deals with spiritual things and people around you are godly and trying to live for God and all of a sudden you become desensitized to it. I was preaching at a tent revival in Michigan years ago and a man came up after the service one night. He was dressed in bib overhauls, had a flannel shirt, and he looked like he had maybe just gotten off work or something. He kind of kind of casual looking, and he, he came up, and he said, Brother Getch, he said, have you ever preached in a foreign country? And I said, well, a few, a few. I, I don't travel a lot out of country, but I've been to a few places. He said, uh, how would you like to preach on the island of St. Martin's? I said, uh, well, sir, I, I got to be honest with you, I, I don't even know where St. Martin's is. Where is it? He said, oh, it's in the Caribbean. He said, it's one of the most beautiful islands in the world. And he said, uh, I'm in construction work. He said, I have a large company and we build buildings, commercial buildings primarily. And he said, I have a number of crews. I have a number of people that work for me. And, but here in Michigan, we can only work for 10 months because the weather uh, gets cold and we can't pour cement and things like that. And so... We work hard for 10 months. We work some 10-hour days, and we put in some long hours. And, but then for two months, in January and February, we, we, we shut down the company. And uh, my guys make enough money in those 10 months, and I certainly make enough money in 10 months to be able to take a two-month vacation. And uh, we just use those cold-weather months to, to go somewhere. And he said, my wife and I have found this island of St. Martin's. And he said, we love going there. He said, the problem is when we first went there, the first time we went, we looked for a church to go to on Sunday. And 
He said, that's our routine. That's our habit. We always go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And so we began to look for a good church to go to. And there were several on the island, but everyone we went to didn't even open a Bible. And no one preached like we were used to. They just kind of talked and gave a little story or something. And he said, it just wasn't at all what, what we were wanting. And we, we went to every church on the island and not one of them preached the Bible. So at the end of that vacation, we were very frustrated. We didn't get to go to church. We started, uh, we started listening to some things via the internet and stuff like that to try to get some spiritual food, you know. But he said, we came home and we loved that island. We loved everything about that trip except for the fact there wasn't a church. So the next year as we were planning our vacation, we, my wife and I were talking about, boy, we'd like to go back to St. Martin's. It was just so relaxing and just so beautiful and we enjoyed the people there and everything about it. And, and they, he said, we had, we had tried to witness to some people and we gave out some tracts and even led a couple of people to the Lord. But this thing about the church, there was no place to go to church. And he said, we were talking about it and we had an idea. We said, why don't we take our pastor and his wife with us on vacation? Now, that's a great idea. If you're going to St. Martin's. You know, if you're going to the Antarctica, you know, maybe not. But he said, let's take it with us. And he said, let's have a revival meeting. And let's invite people to come and let's have pastor preach. And maybe we can start a church while we're there. So that next year, they took their pastor and his wife and they had a revival meeting and people got saved. And by the end of that vacation, they had started a church. And they got someone to come from the, from the, the United States and they came and started pastoring that church. He said, now... We've been going for decades. And he said, now there are three independent Baptist churches on that island. And every year we go and, and we help them with a revival meeting. And we see people say, and he said, Brother Gash, they would love to have you come preach. He said, if you'd be willing to go, I'll pay your way for you and your wife to come down there and preach for three weeks in those three churches, revival meetings. I said, wow, wow. I said, yeah, that'd be great, you know. He said, but you'd have to do something about your preaching. I said, well, what? He said, well, if you come down there, they're going to expect you to preach at least two and a half hours per sermon. I said, what? He said, oh, yeah. They don't like short sermons. They want at least two and a half hours every sermon. I said, you know, Brother Gary, you might have the means to send me down there, but I don't think I have any two-and-a-half-hour sermons. I've never been to the island of St. Martin's. I don't have any two-and-a-half-hour sermons. But I've thought about that many, many times. We become desensitized, don't we? We're around it all the time. We hear sermon after sermon after sermon, yet some of you right now are on Facebook. It's a dangerous place. A saturating routine leads to a subtle resistance. Notice, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck. We don't always realize it. We don't always know it's happening. We, we, we think we're okay because we are in this place where there's so much 
being given and so much being offered and so many things being preached and, and we think we don't need everything. So we tend to tune out in a class or we, we tune out in a service and, and, and we don't realize that we're becoming subtly hardened through that resistance. If you're not used to using tools, if you don't work like a construction job or something like that, and you go out and you try to do some odd jobs around your house, and you grab a hammer or a saw, and you begin to work around your house, and you work a couple hours, and, and boy, after a couple hours, you look at your hands and you've got some blisters. I mean, your hands are just not used to grabbing that tool and swinging that hammer, and, and, and you just don't have anything built up there in your skin. And so by using that tool, at first you get those blisters, and oh, they hurt. I remember the, in, the, in the summer when we'd first bale hay, that first, that first uh, cutting, and, and we'd bale that hay, and we had to pick up those hay bales that weighed about 80 pounds by that twine, and, and we'd have to chuck them up on a wagon, and then we'd have to chuck them off the wagon and up into the hay mow. And I tell you, you do that for a few hours, and all of a sudden your hands are just blistered. But you know, by the end of the summer, you didn't have blisters, you had calluses. And some of us, when we got here in August, man, we couldn't wait for chapel. We couldn't wait for that dorm devotion. We couldn't wait for that room leader to give us something out of the Bible. We couldn't wait for that church service. We couldn't wait for it. But, but now we've become uncircumcised, as Stephen put it, in heart and ears. We've become hardened. Paul talked about their conscience being seared with a hot iron. That's a cultural reference to that time period in that in that day when Paul was writing that, they literally branded their slaves. If you had a slave in Paul's day, you received a brand on your skin, just like we don't even brand animals anymore. We put tags in their ears because branding is considered cruelty to even animals today. But I've, I've done some branding. I remember years ago, I was trying to win a rancher to Christ out in Montana. His name was Holly Croy, and he didn't want anything to do with preachers. He didn't want anything to do with the gospel. And, and I went out and helped him brand cows. For about 12 hours, I wrestled with steers and held their heads and, 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 and bent their head back, and I've, I'm face-to-face -face with these cows, and Holly would take that brand, and they had three brands they put on that cow's flank in order to put the brand of their ranch on there. That cow would beller and snot would come out of its nose and all over me, and I mean, those animals were in pain as that brand was placed on their skin. But you know what? After about a week or two or three that skin where that brand was, there's no hair growing now. It's seared. But that skin is as hard as can be. You could take a pin, poke that cow in that flank where that brand is, and they wouldn't even feel it. If we're not careful, that's what happens to our hearts. We hear it over and over and over again, and at first we're sensitive and we're, we're ready to respond and we're ready to obey, and yet we hear it. We get in Bible college for a while, and now some of us are juniors and some of us are seniors, and we've heard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of messages through the pulpit, through the lectern. God says today, if you'll hear his voice, harden not your heart. A saturating routine leads to a subtle resistance, which then results in a very sudden result. Notice 
he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed. Oh, it's kind of a gradual process to harden your heart, but the result of it comes suddenly. Suddenly, someone leaves school. Suddenly, someone got expelled. Suddenly, somebody lost their purity. The result is sudden. But the process was not sudden. It was subtle. That subtle resistance led to that sudden result. David is an example of that. Oh, we love the stories of the shepherd boy, don't we? We love the story of David, this young boy, killing the bear and killing the lion and killing Goliath. This little last son of Jesse being selected and anointed as the next king. And we see David coming up the ranks and 21 victories in a row. Battle after battle after battle, David is winning, 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 winning. This guy's undefeated. But then we come to 2 Samuel 11. And it came to pass when the kings go forth to battle, David tarried in Jerusalem. Oh, it didn't seem like a big deal. Didn't seem like a monumental mistake to not go to battle this time. All the other kings were going back to war. The winter was over. It was time to go back to battle. But David tarried in Jerusalem. David sat in his house. He was a king. He was anointed of God. He was to lead the nation of Israel into these battles. But this time David said, no, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm not going. Didn't seem like a major decision. Doesn't seem like a major thing to skip our devotions one day. Maybe not go to church tonight. I mean, I have to work, and I'll just stay off campus and, and, and come in after church. Doesn't seem like a big deal. But, oh, we know well the rest of the story, don't we? Sudden, sudden result. As he tarried there in Jerusalem, goes to his window, looks out, sees the woman washing, calls for her, has all men out, commits adultery, covers it up, lies, deception, murder. Subtle resistance sudden result. And notice a stifled remedy. The verse concludes with, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that, that destruction without remedy. Oh, David was forgiven. God went on to use David. But the baby couldn't come back. 
David said, I'll go to be with him, but he cannot return to us. The baby died. Nothing could change that. I'm sure many times David walked by that tiny little grave in the courtyard of the king and wondered what might have become of his son. But he couldn't change that. It was without remedy. He couldn't change the fact that all of his wives were raped by the enemy. He couldn't change the fact that all of his children would be killed by the sword. Oh, yes, God forgave David, and God continued to use David, but there were things in his life as a result of a resistance that could not be changed. Bible college can be a dangerous place. How are you doing with the saturating routine? It's a routine by now. We don't even have to think what we do at 1030. Our body just comes over here. We don't really have to think about the cue card that happens in chapel. We're not surprised by anything, really. I mean, it's kind of same old, same old. The guest is going to give announcements. He's going to pray. He's going to read a verse. We're going to sing a little, and somebody's going to preach. And then we're going to get to go to fifth hour or to our meetings. kind of routine. It's a dangerous place. And it's time at the end of this semester to make some in-game adjustments. We've got to realize that the devil isn't backing away just because we've been here for a while. The devil isn't, isn't sitting idly by saying, well, you know, maybe someday they'll, they'll not be in Bible college and I can have a better shot at him. No, no, he's all over this auditory. He's made the adjustment, have we? Oh, how we need to ask God every day, Lord, don't let my heart get hard in Bible college. Don't let my mind wander from that which you're trying to do in my life while I'm here. Don't let me miss what the Spirit of God wants to say to me today. Because there are things that if you allow that process to take place, it can never be redone. It can never be reversed, never deleted. They become a part of the permanent record. While we rejoice in many of the victories of David, we, if you ask the average person when you hear the name David, they'll say David and Goliath. But others will say David and Bathsheba. They're both on the record. How are you doing with a saturating routine? Don't allow a subtle resistance that leads to a sudden result and then ultimately to a stifled remedy. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we're in a dangerous place. And we think it's safe and we think it's sound and we think it's a good place and it is in so many ways. But Lord, the devil looks at it from a totally different perspective. He steps up the pressure, and he does it through a subtle way. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us as faculty. Some of us have been here 20 years every day in chapel. Lord, help us to stay tender to what you're doing in our lives. 
As the music plays today, do you need to make an in-game adjustment today? The devil's made his adjustment. Maybe he's brought a trial. He's brought a burden. He's brought a need in your life, and he's attacking. Make that adjustment. Come back to the Lord with that tender heart. Say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, work in me.